0: The legal views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute or contain legal advice. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Break the Business Podcast. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. And I'm joined by my co-host, Dave. How's it going, Dave? I am super-de-duper DB Cooper, Ryan. How about you? Well, I mean, I can't quite measure up to that. I mean, I was feeling pretty good, but I didn't quite... I'm not rhyming happy right now. You're not? I mean, you, you seem like... You're, what what puts you in such an exceptional exceptional, exceptional mood today? Uh-huh oh. <laughs> fair enough. I mean, I feel like we shouldn't even be working today. Ah, Labor Day weekend. It's Labor Day weekend. Uh, American labor, our proud history of American labor, has culminated in this one day where we're not supposed to work, and here we are on Labor Day weekend working. This is this. This seems wrong. I mean, this should be the one week where we don't have a podcast.
1: I don't know if the goal of the Haymarket Square riots was for us two idiots to be free from the tyranny of recreational podcasting. I, I
0: think that's what it was. Like, You think
1: that's what Haymarket Square was about? Yes. And in fact, as the as as the railroad
0: workers were getting like on the business end of a baton by Pinkerton strike breakers, mm-hmm. they were saying to themselves, one day there's going to be a podcast and they're not going to have to work today and
1: it's because of what we're doing right now. Wait, are you confu- confu- or com- compiling, confo- confusing, confounding? Bleh. Uh, the Pullman strike with Haymarket Square?
0: No, I was bringing up another example from American history. Oh, okay. You see, American labor has endured
1: many uh
0: Break the business obstacles. for where
1: you go to for Gilded Age uh, <laughs> capital and labor disputes. Up next, uh, we'll have an analysis of J.P. Morgan or Theodore Roosevelt. Who is the most powerful man in the country right now?
0: Can I tell you what I was really trying to do there? What? You were a history major in college. This and, is true. And I would say... Um, if I was making my my power rankings of people in my life who are most knowledgeable about American history, ooh, right, Karela, power rankings, go. like you're you're probably on the top. All right, I mean, of people I know who are most knowledgeable about American history, and you brought up Haymarket Square, and I knew you know I knew what you were talking about there, and I was like. I really want to impress him, Ooh. and so I, you know, I wanted to like reach in and find another funny example of like, I mean, not funny because they did get you know beaten by strike breakers. but <laughs> I wanted to come up with another interesting example from American history that you'd be impressed by. I was trying to okay. impress you, hey, Dave. Hey, that's
1: good. By the way, you know, you know who who is silently impressive? The Pinkertons. They really diversify their their portfolio in terms of services offered. You don't see that that much of them anymore. Cause like they were like detectives, detective agency, and then they also like like security, yeah. like, you know, they would go out and even bring outlaws to justice or just straight up murder them. But also, yeah, strike breakers. It was a different time in American history.
0: You know, there's a lot more, uh, con- you know, conglomeration consolidation. These days, everything's more specialized, but back then, you know, you could beat up workers and, you know, do security and, you know, detective
1: stuff. It was, it was, it was a-
0: in many ways, I think we'd all agree a better time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Wow, that's a lot of Labor Day talk. Yeah, I mean, we are children of the 90s, you know, the 1990s, but, you know, as of such, we can feel kinship with children of the 1890s. That's fair, yeah. No, yeah. absolutely. Um, but I think we also occasionally talk about music business here,
0: so we should probably eventually move into that. Well, I mean, uh, I feel like our lessons apply across the board. You know, kind of. You know, Labor Day, it's all about, you know... Liberating yourself from yeah, the chains listen, of big people, you know, large companies. Like sort of, you know, we're yeah. in the
1: dawn of the twenty of twentieth century technology. You don't need a giant company to put out your beeswax cylinders. <laughs> you can do it from home. <laughs> all right. You don't need to sign a contract. You don't need to go to a bank to get you know loans and some you know have some deeds. All right. You don't need to give up your firstborn. Although I mean, Spanish flu is coming. You may want to <laughs> think about it to avoid future costs. I
0: feel like I've gotten an unusual amount of enthusiasm out of you right at this moment. Because when we talk about music industry stuff, you're like, all right, I'm just going to go through the motions until we start talking pop culture. But now I've gotten you into American history, and
1: I see your eyes are lighting up. Listen, man, the World's Fair in 1873 really showed us what was possible. All right. Now now you're just showing off. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, that's, that's what we're doing. Cool. But li- listen, if you have things you want to tell us, I, I think you should probably email us.
0: Yeah, you can email us, breakthebusiness at gmail.com. There's many w- reasons why you might want to get in touch with us. If you want to let us know how we're doing, give us some show criticism, that's business at gmail.com. If there's a question you want us to answer on the air, either in the music world or in pop culture, music industry, uh, DIY music, or how to move your career forward, we can talk about all that. If you want to challenge Dave's encyclopedic knowledge of American history, uh, you can email us there. Mm-hmm. Uh, You can also follow me on Twitter. I'm at Ryan K-A-I-R. Where are you on Twitter? I am at Metal Dave 85. Uh, We also encourage you to rate and review and subscribe to the Break the Business podcast on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on Stitcher. Coming up in the next segment, uh, really cool guy. I like talking to him a lot. Uh, Dave Cool, the Director of Artist and Industry Outreach for Bandzoogle. Yes, that is his real name. Even David does not believe it. You, like, believe, you're
1: doubting him. I believe it's his real name, but I also think it's possible to be like, yeah, it's my legal name. But that means you could have changed it.
0: Why could? Why couldn't his parents have been the Cools?
1: Like, like you know, Max Power was Homer's name. He yeah. changed it to Max Power. That's his real name. But he was born Homer J Simpson. But why couldn't he? Why couldn't he be
0: the Cools? Why couldn't it be like you know, you know, Marion and Robert Cool. You know, gave birth to their son Dave Cool, and they were the Cools. I don't even know where to go with it. I mean, Anyway, he's he's coming up in the next segment. Uh, he's going to talk to us about building websites because that's what they do over at BandZoogle. He's got some great tips there. Uh, he also wrote an ebook called 23 Ways Musicians Can Make Money. and uh, We're going to sort of explore with him the many different revenue streams that artists can create. Uh, as a DIY artist, there are some obvious ways that you yeah. make money. Selling records, live shows, merchandising, how the real money is made. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anybody gets that reference. but um, But... There, even, I, even I didn't. Really,
1: isn't that from Spaceballs? Merchandising. Oh, I'm not a Spaceballs aficionado. Actually, really, yeah, really, really. I, I, I have other Mel Brooks films that uh, I prefer. This is actually shocking to me. Like, we're
0: gonna put the Dave Cool conversation aside. But hang on a sec, Dave. We're gonna talk about all your great achievements well, well, lot, in just well, a, a second. Whole
1: segment uh, dedicated to him. Yes. So you're, let's, 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 okay. Uh, you're a big Star Wars fan. Well, I think that's maybe why, because okay. I have such a reverence for it that. And, but you love Star Wars and you love Mel Brooks. Yeah, and actually, by the way, you know, actually, I think that I'm, I'm going to hijack your segment by just inserting my own. Uh, <laughs> wow, <laughs> what a pop there! I guy. know, I,
0: I I laughed too hard. I shortled too hard. It came up Short. on the pop filter. Sorry, shortler.
1: A <laughs> sort of shortler you are. Um, no, dude, we lost Gene Wilder, man. Yes, that's, that's horrible. Because I was saying my my favorite. See, it's hard to. I think my favorite's either Blazing Saddles or the producers, but that's definitely one too. And the original producers, kids, you know, the yeah, one with Gene yeah, Wilder yeah, yeah, and yeah. Zara Mustel. Okay,
0: yeah, yeah, get your get your Broderick out of here.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um Young Frankenstein. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. that's great. I was not but Mel Brooks, but Gene Wilder and Willy Wonka. I mean, you know, great. Just that, man, what a great actor. He always said, "I am not a comedian." It's like I'm an actor, yeah. and that's true because he actually played everything like very earnestly and seriously. That's why you, you know, that's why you believed him. Yeah. No, uh, Willy Wonka and the
0: Chocolate Factory still one of my favorite movies. You know, it harkened back to a time when like movies didn't have to dumb down to kids. Like it was okay to scare kids in movies. Oh yeah, no,
1: this was like this is what happens to bad little children. Yeah. It's like you misbehave. You know, the consequences are quite dire. Yeah. We we we, <laughs> we respected kids' intelligence
0: back then. Like that movie. I shouldn't say that movie could never get made today because it was obviously remade, but it could never be remade in that same way and be uh-huh. marketed to children like it was back then. Yeah. yeah.
1: Was- now you had the, the Johnny Depp, Tim Burton. Meh. Was it Tim Burton? I can't even... Probably. I'm, I'm just assuming so, just by virtue of like the aesthetic of it and the fact that it was Johnny Depp. Yeah. But yeah, that was an affront to everything. Like, oh, it was based on the book, all right? It wasn't like, ah, screw you, all right? <laughs> Gene Wilder. So anyway, Dave Cool, yeah, he's got this book, Twenty
0: Three Ways Musicians Can Make Money, and and he explores some of the lesser known but still very valuable revenue streams that musicians yeah. can explore. This may be is, was this is this your favorite book ever? Because it is said it's it's a giant list. Oh yes, and I was just I mean I was in heaven just yes yeah you know, reading it. Um, no, it, it, I mean aside from that, it is actually a really good read, mm-hmm. and we're, you know we'll talk about this more in the interview with him, but. The, it's a great read because, you know, it talks about all these ways musicians can make money. It outlines the pros and cons of each way. And mm-hmm. it gives you resources, you know, websites that you can go to that helps you monetize each of these revenue streams. Super cool. So that's he's that's Dave Cool, and that is his real
1: name. And he's coming up in the next yeah. segment. You know, it's I, I just remembered. One of the reasons I'm in such a good mood, Ryan, because you asked what makes it. Yeah, exciting. yeah. Well, you're in a good you mood. Know, Ryan, I was is the word accepted? Approved. There we go. Approved. Approved. For the Global Entry Program, run by CBP. Really? Yes, Ryan. I'm a known traveler. I am known. I can go to the airport, Ryan, and they know me. More than that, though, I can enter the globe. Can you enter the globe, Ryan? Uh, no.
0: No. <laughs> Definitely not. Exactly. Not with my last name. Uh, I can there, go... There's, there's places that they don't let me go. Your last name seems actually quite neutral, but I'll take your word. Mine. It. Oh, sorry. no, it's, it's, good. it's Lebanese. It's got Allah at the end of it, like... I'm I'm getting what? I'm getting all kinds of random checks.
1: <laughs> I never thought of that.
0: <laughs> I, wait, wait, I never you, put two and two
1: together. You didn't know that? Like the A L L A in my last name was no. Okay, so since 1997 or 98, this has never once entered in my yeah.
0: brain. In fact, the old spelling of my last name was had A L L A H at the end. Oh, and my my last name me literally means gift of God. Uh, Kira
1: is gift. Allah is God. <sighs> I know, I'm so pretentious, Ryan. Pretentious. Look at you, always. None of this is enough. Always more with you.
0: It's a, it's a it's a scary last name to have because it it does it sounds a little you know mm-hmm. random bag checky. Mm-hmm.
1: Sure. <laughs> anyway, well, anyway, seriously, actually, I never made that connection. I just I don't know. Your name has just always been your name to me. Well, anyway, How about that. See, I'm progressive. I yeah. know. Yeah,
0: you don't you you don't
1: see color nationality good for you
0: maybe no. that's why they gave you global entry exactly
1: and i can i can enter the globe dude and people know me you can't no you know i can go in the globe on the globe wherever i want so does Ryan, this let you like I pass can... through security quicker or... oh yeah, yeah also that dude i can travel through time with you we can go see shakespeare's 12th night in person and it'll be like sure come on in dave and then they will be like you know you'll be like why dave can enter the globe Wait for it. All right. I kind of wish you had it right away. I mean, I appreciate the fact that you didn't because you were bowled over laughing. I know. Well, That's what it
0: was, is like that That joke, it sort of like... It crept up on me a little bit. It crept up on me. Like it, I like it. It yeah. kind of like went in and then like it took a second. It was like a time-release caplet yeah. of jokes. Yeah. And then once it got to me, like, I, I I was immobilized. I couldn't hit the button to do the yeah, yeah, yeah. Enter and So the globe. That's the
1: thing. I was wondering where you were. I was like, what's Shakespeare? What's he doing with this? Exactly. I can and, go to the globe. And you're like, well, how the hell does this let, let him in? Hey, man, we got, he needs to get global entry. We know. customs U.S. Customs and Border Patrol says he can. But this is England did like, 1597. Why does he get in? Anyway. So can I mention something about the
0: music business here in this music business segment? Yes. Or do you just want to talk more about your global entry? Which by the way, I'm thrilled for you because you know that just seems really awesome. And and it's one of those things that I keep meaning to do and I just never get around to it. Yeah. yeah. And I really have to because God, the airports are such a hassle. Mm-hmm. Anyway, before we bring in Dave Cool, um, I wanted to talk to you about an article that I, mm-hmm. I read in the New York Times and I think is super pertinent. To indie artists, and I think you're going to like it because I think you're a fan of this guy. Are you a Mike Birbiglia fan? I am.
1: Yes, a common ground. I, I love it. I wanted to see his movie, Don't Think Twice, but unfortunately, it's like very limited release. And the, the day it was here in Miami, that's when I was flying to Minneapolis. I know. I really so, want to see it, too. Is is, is, is is it going to be on demand at some point? Probably. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, well, yes, obviously, but who knows how soon. But yeah, but it, Don't Think Twice. I think, yeah, it's, it sounds like it's a great movie. Everyone's talking about it. You nice know, little indie film. But anyway, he uh I think what he had a nice little uh thing for that it basically applies to musicians, all artists of all stripes. Yeah. Actors, That's That's exactly artists, right.
0: Uh he wrote a he wrote an article in the New York Times uh called let me see if I can pull it up here. Ah, yes. Mike has six tips for making it small in Hollywood or anywhere. And and the article tends to talk more about his work as a stand up comedian and how he's been able to Achieve a lot of things without, you know, some large TV network or content creator. Right. But the lessons are, sim- are, are useful for m- musicians as well. Uh, before we get into the article, uh, do you have a favorite Mike Birbiglia joke? Because I do. Uh, you can tell it. Okay. Uh, he says, uh, uh, I was living with a girl for a while. Uh, we worried about different things. One day I was like, what do you fear the most? And she was like, I fear that you'll meet someone else and you'll leave me and I'll be all alone. And she was like, what do you fear the most? And I was like, Bears.
1: See, I thought you were going to do the what I should have said was nothing. Well, that's a well, that's a funny joke too. Yeah. By the way, I love how you uh, didn't even attempt to execute a proper delivery on it. I know. You I w- just read it like wrote.
0: That's fair because I wanted to make sure I got the words right, so I had written it down, and mm. in doing
1: so, I had just sucked much of the humor out of the joke. Someone asked us uh, recently, "Why don't we try to take our show and like do it on camera and like in front of a camera?" And I think this is one of the reasons why we don't.
0: I'd get better. I would if we yeah. were on camera. I'd, I'd you know, practice more. I'd you know, and I'd have oh, to shave. Oh, you too, put cause... effort in.
1: That's I love. That's what you're saying. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> okay. Um, anyway, no, what, what does Mike it's, say? It's
0: a great article. Um, you know, I'm going to talk about a few of the lessons that he has in there because I know you hate it when I run through lists. But I,
1: I will take a Mike Fabriglia list. I'll take an appropriate list. Oh, fair. Oh, so, if, so, so,
0: so you do discriminate on lists. You don't have a blanket prohibition on lists. You, if the list comes from a good source, you're okay with it.
1: If James Headfield published a list, you bet your ass this show would be nothing but James Headfield lists.
0: I bet. Yeah. Well, the first three things that he mentions in this article, all sort of feed in together mm-hmm. and you can kind of boil it into one big lesson. You know, the first thing he talks about in the article is when it comes to creating in his case, comedy, but for in the case of musicians, music, don't create, don't, or sorry, don't create,
1: <laughs> don't, thank you. Don't wait. Thanks for sticking around for the show. That was 52 <laughs> episodes and we're done because yeah, you, you should you just stop. Create.
0: No, he said, don't wait, create right away. Uh, don't wait until everything in your life is perfect uh-huh. as an artist. Cause I mean, I hear this all the time. Artists will tell me, Oh, I'm, you know, I'm not going to make this album yet because I'm waiting for, you know, this, you know, this campaign to get finished, or I need my student loans to be paid off, or, you know, I need this studio time to get purchased, whatever it is, X, Y, Z, they always have excuses. And it's always easy to have those excuses and to wait until everything, in your life is going to be perfect before you do some creative endeavor. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, your life's never going to be perfect. And, you're never going to learn everything you need to learn. So your best move is to just start and don't wait and just get moving with it right away and figure it out as you go. Because some of the things that you're going to need to learn, you're not going to learn until you make mistakes. Mm-hmm. And that brings you to the second thing that Berbiglia talks about, which is, as he puts it, fail. Failure is the best teacher. Uh, from the article, he writes... The bedrock of all good pieces of writing is 10 bad drafts, maybe 20. I wrote 10 dra- 12 drafts of Don't Think Twice, 14 drafts of my first movie, Sleepwalk, with me, and worked on my first one-man show for six years. My first five minutes on The Late Show with David Letterman in 2002 was mined from three hours of so-so material that I had tried and failed with for six years. Failure is essential. There's no substitute for it. It's not just encouraged, but required. Yeah, And so you know, as an artist, you, you know, you get out there, you create stuff and you're going to mess up and that's okay. Cause that's how you're going to learn. But the worst thing you can do is just wait until you have everything perfect because you're going to lose that opportunity right. to somebody else who isn't, you know, who, who is willing to learn as they go. Or, you know, as, as some of my clients will say, build the plane as you fly it. And, and it's sort of the same thing with podcasting. I mean, to give my own little personal story on this, mm-hmm. um, I had contemplated doing this podcast for a while when the book came out, and I had really wanted to plan things out. And I was okay. What do the segments have to look like? You know, I need to have five interviews already lined up in the can. Mm-hmm. I need to. I, I, I made a list of all the things I was going to do, and then I just realized one day, if I don't, if if I wait until everything on this list is checked off, I'm never going to have a podcast, and you know, more things are to come up on the list. Right. So what I did. Was I got my friend Dave and we just started doing it? Oh, you did, cool. And how, how did it go? <laughs> it's been glorious. Did it fail, man? I mean, it's, it's failed a lot, but <laughs> it fails all the time. But uh, in keeping with Berbiglia's mm-hmm. article, it's important to learn from failure. Yes. So you don't wait. You start creating. You fail a lot. You learn from the failure. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the ways that he talks about learning from failure is finding a community of people that you respect. Who can help you kind of workshop your material out? Uh, Rachel Sage in the Break the Business book talks about this. She says one of the most important things. Oh, Rachel Sage, by the way, fantastic indie artist. Mm-hmm. I've been trying like hell to get her on the show because she's so awesome, but she's always so busy. And she's like rain checking me a bunch of times. But we're going to get her because she's super, super awesome.
1: I hope so. She already gave a blurb to the book. She so. did. Yeah, I know. No, it's interview. the least she could do. Oh, right? no, not even a blurb an interview.
0: I know. but she, she's. Uh, I don't mean to put her on blast or anything. She's super awesome. Yeah, you do. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Come on, Rachel, be on the show. Anyway. She um, said. She said, you know, and she talks about this in the book, one of the most important things an artist can do is find a supportive community of people, uh, of fellow content creators, and you exchange works and you collaborate with each other and they are sort of your sounding board where you try new mm-hmm. material out and they're, you know, find people who are going to be able to say, oh, that's amazing or, oh, that sucks, you have to fix that. Mm. and um, And that can be hard for many artists because if you're in a market like Los Angeles or new york yeah you're gonna have no problem finding that community
1: right but then there's you have the inherent issue of they're also your competition well yeah so yeah but still i think that's good sage advice i must not i gotta find
0: oh i'm happy with that i'm quite pleased you got your globe joke and your sage joke yeah you're like, you're smiling right now. You can't yeah. stop yourself. Like you're just, you're on cloud nine. I'm having fun. I don't know what your problem <laughs> is. I'm having fun. <laughs> um, But yeah, if you're in one of those big markets, it's easy for you to kind of find that community. I think if when you're, you're in the smaller markets, like, you know, Danielle ate the sandwich. She's in Colorado. Uh, you know, Mary Amber's somewhere in Australia. Sydney. Sydney. Well, I mean, I don't know. If, I mean, they, they don't have like the New York music scene, but... The point is... Yeah, but she's you, not like an Ayers Rock in the middle of the damn country. Well, no, but sometimes big cities don't have that community. Like, Miami is a big city. That's right, yeah. We don't is... have a lot of, you know, art stuff that supports artists down here. No, yeah. And so, for a lot of artists, it can be hard to find that group. And so, if you don't have one in your community, work towards building one. Create a songwriter's cooperative in your area and kind of have that group of people. Mm-hmm. And if, despite your best efforts, you can't create that songwriter's cooperative to workshop your material go to the internet. Uh, you can create an online songwriters cooperative, find like-minded musicians throughout the country or throughout the world that allow you to collaborate and create new material. Um, you know, Berbiglia even talks about in the article how he had his own struggles finding that community. He says, uh, when I was in college, every Wednesday I drove my girlfriend Maggie's Ford Taurus to an open mic at a Best Western 40 minutes away to enter a lottery of 30 comedians trying to win one of the nine spots to perform in front of the other 21 angry comedians. So that was his first experience trying to get collaboration was just... You know, he he had he went to an open mic, and Mm -hmm. you know everybody hated each other because if you didn't make the drawing, you just performed in front of all the people
1: who didn't get selected. That's what I'm saying. Like there was an inherent competition, but that's the stand-up world. Maybe it's hopefully it's different in the uh, music world. I mean, it depends on what community you find. Because eventually, he talks
0: about how when he when he went to D.C., he found an improv comedy club there, and they were kind of a more supportive community. You know, and on one hand, I guess you're competitors because you know you know, you're in the same industry, but Mm -hmm. I mean, really you have every reason to collaborate. It's not like, you know, it's not like a person only has $1 and they can either give it to you or give it to somebody else. Like, you know, if you can, if you collaborate with others, you can all rise together and you, by the way, can, you know, collaborate on projects and Mm -hmm. create things together and do those things. But anyway, I thought it was a cool article. You can check it out in the New York times. Um, and really just those three main lessons of don't, don't wait, don't, Don't wait until everything's perfect to start creating. Start creating, and you'll learn everything along the way. And the best way you're going to learn those things is from failure. You're going to make mistakes, and you'll learn from those mistakes. And you'll learn the mistakes you're making by collaborating with a uh, like-minded community, a cooperative of people that you trust, and you can work with those people and
1: uh, help develop your content that way. Plus, also, I like the title, How to Make It Small. Because I think there is a perception you always have to make it big Mm -hmm. You know, if you're not – like Beyonce, you failed. No, there are a lot of people with just as good, solid careers that they've made it. They're in the they're in the industry. They're making a living. They're doing what they do. You don't have to be the elite, you know, the Taylor Swifts of the world out there. You don't have to be Drake or whatever. They're, you know, there's That's plenty true. of uh, plenty of just you know room right there for everyone to just do their own thing. Yeah. They create their own lanes. Yeah,
0: uh, Derek Webb, a guest we had on the show from Noise Trade, talked about the importance of just building your small tribe and really what your goal is if you if you can find a thousand fans who are willing to put a hundred dollars into your career you've just made a living as a musician Mm -hmm. and that hundred you know that doesn't mean they have to buy a hundred dollars worth of your music if they're buying merchandise if they're crowdfunding your your artwork if they are going to your live shows is where however those hundred you know dollars come from Mm -hmm. if you can get a thousand people who can make that commitment to you you've built a music career you've Made it small, but you you know that's your base by which you can yeah make it big if that's what you want to do. I mean, a but...
1: hundred people giving you a thousand dollars—that's like a hundred billion dollars. Wait, no, you got it backwards. A thousand people giving you a hundred
0: dollars. What did I say? You said a hundred people giving you a thousand dollars. Which, if you can do that, that's pretty excellent too. Like <laughs> yeah, like just your 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 community, your, your small community of billionaire fans. Just heavily yeah. supports your career well
1: then wait a minute, dude then a thousand people giving you a hundred dollars that's like a trillion dollars no no
0: I can't argue with that that's
1: I mean you can't <laughs> You just can't. You just can't. Yeah. All
0: right, uh, Dave. Cool. Coming up next. Thank you very much for listening to the Break the Business Podcast. Ryan here from the podcast. Shameless plug time. My new book, Break the Business: Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry, is now available in paperback and an ebook. The book talks about how you can be your own boss in your music career and take control of your content creation, promotion, distribution, and fundraising. Get your copy on Amazon by searching Break the Business. It's a nice read for musicians and the people who love them. That's Break the Business, declaring your independence and achieving true success in the music industry. Thanks very much for your support. Welcome back to the Break the Business Podcast. He is a musician and the director of artist and industry outreach for Banzoogle, a platform that allows artists to create a website and manage their content and merchandise. His new ebook, 23 Ways Musicians Can Make Money, is available for free on the Banzoogle blog. And you can find out more about his work by visiting DaveCool.ca. Ladies and gentlemen, Dave Cool is on the Break the Business Podcast. Hey, Dave, thanks for joining us.
2: Thanks, Ryan. It's great to be here, man.
0: So, Dave Cool, I saw on your Twitter profile that, uh, as far you know, I could not imagine this to be so, but it is indeed so that Dave Cool is in fact your real name. So, <laughs> I will spare you the uh, annoyance of having to deal with the question you probably get all the time uh, about whether it is your real name. So, let me start with a different question. All right? Sure. Seriously, your real name is Dave Cool. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I lucked out on that one, man. Uh, I, it's literally my email signature at the bottom, just saying, yes, it's my real name, because it's usually the first question uh, people ask. <laughs> and when I was um, an active musician, sort of, you know, gigging a lot and touring and things like that, everyone thought it was a stage name. I was like, man, that would be the lamest stage name ever. <laughs> You pretty pretty much
0: had no choice but to go into the music business. If you told your parents, you know, hey, I'm thinking of being a CPA, what? (laughs) We did not give you the most amazing name in the world for you to be an accountant.
2: Exactly. I figure it's either the entertainment industry or become a doctor because I think Dr. Cool would be pretty oh good. Oh my too, God. But, uh, didn't, uh, didn't have the interest in uh, spending that much time in school. So, uh, entertainment industry, it was.
0: I mean, like running for office, Senator Cool, I think. I mean, who, who would not vote for you?
2: I think I would get a lot of votes, just protest votes, just based on the name alone.
0: <laughs> so the protest votes, the pothead yeah. votes going to be all exactly. about you? Like, they're going to be at the ballot box. <laughs> cool. All right. Mm-hmm. Pulling the lever.
2: <laughs> totally.
0: So. Walk us through your story here. Can you give the listeners the broad strokes on how your life and music brought you to your current work with Banzoogle?
2: Sure. I mean, I grew up in a musical household, so my dad's uh, cover band has been jamming in my family home every Saturday night since before I was born. So close to 40 years. And when I was five years old, he needed a drummer for that band and trained me like a little monkey to keep a beat. And, uh, went from there, played in my own bands as a teenager, signed record deals, toured did all that fun stuff and, uh, started my own label, uh, for a little while. And, um, a lot of people, who had heard of me uh, prior to my work with Ben Ziegler was was mostly from a documentary film I made called "What Is Indie," which I stumbled across as a total accident uh, putting together a compilation CD back in the day of uh, my favorite indie artists, and I decided to interview a bunch of them. Yeah, that's. I'm
0: uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead.
2: Yeah, just as a... If you remember those CD-ROM extras that you could get on the yes. CD, uh, we wanted to put together a little five-minute sort of montage of uh, some of my favorite artists, and in those discussions we we realized we were hitting on a common a common experience, and we just kept filming, and I hired a buddy of mine from, from school uh, that I grew up with who was a professional cameraman, and we just... Started interviewing people and, and got more people involved. Uh, managed to interview Derek Sivers, the founder of CD Baby, and Panos Panay, the founder of Sonic Bids, and Peter Spellman over at the Berkeley College of Music, who was you know my mentor in the music industry for many years. So it ended up being a, a much bigger project than I ever would have imagined, and it, it came at a time when the word indie became sort of very buzzworthy. And, uh, and so that, that film came out and, and sort of launched the second phase of my career. And I did, I worked on a few things after that, um, programmed a couple of music venues up here in Montreal, which was a lot of fun to get to see the other side of things. Because when I was a musician and a manager, I hated bookers at venues cause they never get back to you. and It's, <laughs>
3: it's,
2: hard, to, it's hard to get gigs and, you know, programming over 500 shows and in, in three years I, I learned why um, bookers are, are very swamped they're very busy people yeah um, and I, you know I wound up at Banzugal kind of a on a fluke a you know, I've, I've always used their platform. I built my my record label website. I was actually looking at this because we had our annual company meetup last week where we're a 100% remote company. And once a year, we all get together with our families and hang out for a week. And that was last week. And we were talking about the history of the company. And I was trying to figure out when I built my first BandZool site. And it was actually in 2004, not long after the company was founded. And I've built many websites on the platform since. So I always knew them. They're based here in Montreal, where I where I live where I grew up and where I live. And so it was always a point of pride to have a successful music tech company here. So I always supported them. And they um they heard about my work. I'd released an ebook, a free ebook called um, Attending Music Conferences 101, just advice for musicians attending music conferences. And they were looking for someone to do some blogging and content marketing for them. And and I met with their CEO at the time and he offered me a job on the spot and I said no. <laughs> oh, wow. <Curve laughs> I ball. Just, yeah, I just quit my job programming those those two venues and I was burned out and wasn't looking for work. So I said, you know, I'll give you any blog content you want for free. I love the company, but I'm just not looking for for work right now. And I need to sort of clear my head and figure out my next steps. And uh you know, he was very persistent and uh, invited me to come meet the whole team at the meetup that year, which was in Montreal. And uh, it just felt like family. Everyone was super nice, and I uh, started working for them. And uh, I guess it almost six years ago now, started off just doing some blogging, community management. And, um, from there doing a lot of, you know, speaking at a lot of conferences and giving a lot of workshops and, uh, this past year I've taken over, um, sort of industry outreach and, and all of our partnership side of the business. Uh, so that's, that's, it's, it's funny how things can go, uh, yeah, but, exactly. uh, you know, that's, that's kind of my story in a nutshell. It just, uh, one opportunity led to another and, and wound up in, uh, at an amazing company that, uh, you know, I, I look forward to every day that I get to work with that team and do the work that I'm doing. So it's, uh, it's a, it's a nice place to be in. So let's talk
0: about this awesome company a little bit. For the uninitiated, uh, can you tell us a little bit about what Banzoogle does?
2: Sure. It's a website platform for musicians. So it was founded by a musician named Chris Vinson, who still runs the company, uh, about 13 years ago. And it came out of a need on his end because his band was... Um, signed to a major label up here in Canada and, and he designed their website and then the label had him design all the websites for all the bands on the label so <laughs> he just got overwhelmed with requests, you know, change this photo, add this calendar date and all that so he built a dashboard, little control panel and gave everyone a login and said, you know, do it yourself, I'm too busy and everyone stopped bugging him so he thought <laughs> well maybe maybe this will be useful for other musicians and it turns out it was and Ben Zool was born in 2003 and uh you know, it has grown. Now we power over twenty seven thousand websites for musicians and bands around the world. It's it's a it's the simplest, easiest way for a musician to build a professional website. It's all point and click, drag and drop. Uh, everything's included. So your hosting, domain name, e commerce to sell music and merch. We don't take any cut of sales. So one hundred percent of the of the of the sales go directly to the artists um you know you can run your mailing list directly through the bands platform blog calendar we have integrations with you know Bandcamp, bands in town soundcloud pledge music gig salad um it's all the tools that musicians are using we we try to integrate them to make their lives easier um so they can just sign into one place and take care of their building their website with you know incredibly easy drag and drop tools to uh, design a site and then run their business side of things with with the email marketing and the commerce and things like that. So it's really just a one-stop shop all in one platform that we keep adding to, you know, our dev. Our our dev team are very busy. They have a long laundry list of uh, new features and functionality that they're you know, adding to the platform. So it's, um, it's a lot of fun to work for a company that listens to their members and listens to feedback and builds in the tools that uh, people are asking for.
0: Yeah, it it is a great website. And I personally am a big fan of the Banzoogle platform. And it's funny, I think, as social media becomes such an important cornerstone of any DIY artist promotional plan, Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff. uh, Many artists, almost forget about the website or treat it as an afterthought or just treat it as a box to check off. And really, websites are still very important. Uh, Can you give the artists listening out there a couple tips on what they can do to make a strong website and maybe focus on mistakes you often see artists make with their websites?
2: Sure, yeah, well... Back up just a little bit. It is actually one of the most common questions I get when I speak to musicians at conferences and workshops. You know, why do they still need a website? And, and like you said, like it's it's still important. It's 2016, and there's all these free social media sites and platforms out there. But you really need the place that you own online because you know if you're old enough to remember MySpace, which I am. Um, You know, a lot of bands built up a fan base on there and then it seemingly disappeared overnight and there was no copy, you know, MySpace fans to Facebook. So you had to start over with your website. You own that little slice of the Internet you collect their email address, email addresses and add them to your mailing list, you can keep in touch with those fans for life. So the website and mailing list, we really see it sort of your hub. Um, these are properties that you own. Um, and the social media aspect is obviously super important, and we talk a lot about that as well. But, um, you know, starting with your website and making sure that you have that property that you own is super important. And it's also it's one of the first places that people in the industry are going to look to find you. Um, I know when I was booking venues, uh, I would go straight to the artist's website. Where are they playing? Where have they played? What's their bio? What do they sound like? What do they look like? And the website is the best place to get all that information. Yeah. So that's why musicians need a website. How do they make an effective website, and what mistakes do we often see? Well, I'll answer with this. It just sort of ties in the two questions. The single best thing you could do for your website and the biggest mistake I see musicians make with their website is, is with professional photos. And and if you don't have professional photos, you're wasting your time building a website because if the photos look bad, if they're pixelated, low resolution, you know, taken by, a, you know, your friend or cousin or something and it's the framing's all weird and the lighting's terrible... The unfortunate reality is that fans and industry are going to judge your music based on those visuals, and so you really need to focus on getting great imagery for your website. So, getting your brand down—your photos, your colors, your fonts, things like that—is um, is the most important thing to do. The rest you know, it's all just little tinkering and, and things you can improve upon. But if you don't have those that base down with the imagery, um, the rest isn't going to matter very much because people are probably not going to explore your website very much um, if it's hard on the eyes and it doesn't look professional when they land on it.
0: So when you talk about the fact that industry folks are actually going to be looking at your website, something that many artists often forget when they're building these things, um, I assume that there's certain information that any artist is going to want to make sure is on their website so that industry people can get whatever they need to get from the artist. Uh, what, oh, for what, sure. what kind of stuff do you really want to make sure is in there?
2: Oh, for sure. Yeah, there's this, essentially three audiences that are going to be visiting your site. You have your current your current fans, so they're going to want to know what's new, You know, see some new photos, listen to new music, read your newest blog posts, things like that potential fans so let's say you're playing at a festival or if you're opening up for a bigger name artist they might visit your website to see if it's worthwhile showing up earlier so again you want to sort of put your best foot forward and you know have your best video your best music up on your site and then the third category is industry and media and they have very particular needs and it's best to create you know a digital press kit epk press kit page uh, whatever you want to call it, on your website, and what they're looking for is your official bio. So written in third person, um, having different versions of the bio. So a sh- you know elevator pitch, short bio, you know medium bio, long bio, because uh, you know bookers, festivals, conferences, they're just going to want to copy and paste. the format format that they need. So make their lives easy, have the different formats available. Same thing goes for photos. So make sure you have high res photos, make sure you have photos of different formats so vertical and horizontal, black and white and color and offer, you know, have different options available so that uh, they can just go on the page, download the image they need that fits the format that they need. Of course, you're going to have your best music video or two, Um, some music, of course, any prior press you've had, uh, career highlights, and imagery is also important there, too. I mean, I've seen some great press kits where, or I've seen some press kits where you really have to read through the text of press, and it's all just black text on white background. And a lot of people will gloss over that. And I saw, I forget the band, but I was reading through it and, you know, they played all these amazing festivals and were featured in some major media outlets. And that's where imagery can also help, where you can put the logos of some of these festivals or some of these, um, media outlets. And it just sort of catches the eye and sort of paints a picture of uh, your experience, um, in the industry. So career highlights, press, um, bio photos, um obviously somewhere to contact you or your uh publicist or manager or agent if you have one. Oh, man. But that's essentially, you know, what industry people are going to be looking for quickly on your site.
0: Oh man, that was I hope everybody was taking notes just now. That was that was awesome. It's just like <laughs> you just you gave everybody the full rundown on a website. That was tremendous. Um now I want to talk turkey with you. You I now have a new favorite book at the moment. And it's the ebook you and your your, your boys at uh put together. Twenty-three mm-hmm. ways musicians can make money. Um you can find it on the Banzoogle blog. It is a fantastic work. Walks through twenty-three different revenue streams that artists can employ in their music careers. And what I love about the book most, Dave, is that it analyzes each of the revenue streams, gives you specific pros and cons. And my favorite part, it recommends specific resources to help you set each of these revenue streams up. Great resource. And so now we can all say off the top of our head some obvious revenue streams for DIY musicians. Digital downloads, CDs, live shows, merchandise. Can you give us some not-so-obvious ways that musicians can make money that are nonetheless valuable resources?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I appreciate the kind of words about the book. Uh, we just launched it uh, a few weeks ago. It's it's based on a blog post I wrote a few years ago called 18 Ways Musicians Can Make Money. And lo and behold, it became the most popular blog post ever on Banzoogle. Uh, and to this day, it's the most read post every single week. Uh, every week, wow. Yeah, <laughs> week, week in, week out in our analytics, it's far above... And beyond any other post on our blog, so apparently there's some there's a lot of musicians out there looking for ways to make money, which is understandable. So I, instead of updating the blog post, I, I decided to put together a free ebook that um, I kind of I call it a bit of a glorified blog post, but it was intentional because I didn't. Uh, cuz i have a little of the AD, the social media add where you're just constantly switching, you know, checking this, checking that. And so i wanted to make a resource that was really quick to read, to scan through whatever revenue streams are applicable to you. You can re- read a couple of paragraphs, see the upsides down, the pros and cons, the resources available and move on and there's, you know, i put links to blog posts and other content if you want to dive deeper into those revenue streams and you can read more on those topics, but I really wanted to make it a sort of a quick, scannable, easy read, uh, just to give a, a perspective of all the different revenue streams. So that's my long-winded intro to the, answering the question. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> um, I'm a little, I'm a little tired. I guess I'm just kind of babbling here. I apologize. No, but... it was
0: outstanding. Don't, don't, don't beat <laughs> yourself up. That was, that was, uh, that was awesome.
2: Awesome. So in terms of revenue streams that are kind of overlooked or you know, little views. I'd say um, one that I found, especially programming a venue that was licensed by, um, by SOCAN up here in, in Canada, was that a lot of the artists could have been collecting royalties on their live performances. You know, it's a little bit of paperwork, but all the PROs, if, if you submit the forms and, you know, if you've been playing your original music at licensed venues, you can get royalties for playing your music. No, nice. It's it's one of those things that, like, it's not going to be a ton of money, but it's going to be something, and and it's and that's what it's become. You know, it's people complain about streaming and you know money from YouTube, and it's it's these little drops in the bucket. But you know, if if you get a lot of drops and everything kind of pushing in the same direction, it's it's going to make a difference. And and live performance royalties is one of those that I don't see very many musicians taking advantage of that. Like if they're registered with a PRO and if you're playing licensed venues, then <laughs> fill out the forms. <laughs> <Yeah>. Well, <laughs> and- it's, it's
0: amazing how many musicians I come across who've been in the game for a long time and, and maybe even have very extensive catalogs who don't even have a PRO set up. And when I ask them, and they ask me like, what is a PRO? And I'm <laughs> like, oh boy. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, they're just leaving a lot of money on the table.
2: Exactly, yeah. if, if They're not a PRO to begin with yeah there's there's probably a lot of money out there <laughs> waiting for them uh, and speaking of which i mean you know digital royalties you know it, it's it's something that comes out of, at almost every conference i go to and i'm amazed by how many musicians don't know that they can sign up for a sound exchange for free and there's chances are if if you've been active and your music's being played on like satellite radio or pandora um there's probably money waiting for you. They collect, they collect yeah. your royalties from these uh, non-interact. They're called non-interactive streaming music services, and so there's money sitting there in that SoundExchange. They have tens of millions of dollars of uncollected royalties. Like it's, it's become a bit of a nightmare for them to try to match the royalty payments to the artist. Um, so every time I'm at a conference, at a conference I remind artists like, if you're not signed up with SoundExchange, do it today. Check and see if you have royalties because I've heard you know I've spoken to artists who had thousands of dollars sitting there, and all they had to do was sign up for a free account with Sound Exchange and just claim their money. Huh. So if, you, if your music's getting played on on any of these types of platforms, then there's money for you, and all you have to do is sign up with Sound Exchange to uh, to collect it.
0: I love it. Um, again, that ebook is twenty-three ways musicians can make money. You can find it on the Sonic Bids blog uh not Sonic Bids a uh, Banzoogle blog. There's so many there's like an alphabet soup of names out there.
2: Banzoogle blog. Um, That's all good. They've been around a little bit longer than us, so we've yeah. known them. Yeah, they're long. all right too.
0: Um, I wanna to talk to Dave Cool, the filmmaker here, because you did mention your your documentary, What is Indie?, um and you know, by the way, I, I believe that's now available for anybody to watch. You can watch it online if I'm not mistaken.
2: Yeah, you can go to my website, Davecool.ca. I'm up in Canada, I couldn't get the dot com. <laughs> Oh. I was slow on that one, but uh, I got this .ca so DaveCool.ca, .ca and it. You can download the the movie totally free because um, I had signed a distribution deal with the National Film Board of Canada, which uh, which was a great thing for the movie and and it got it into a lot of educational institutions, so a lot of music industry programs across uh, North America. Very um, cool. But the deal finally expired. Uh, I think it was this past year or last year and uh, to celebrate, I (laughs) put the movie out online for free.
0: And, you know, and what I think is interesting, you made this movie 10 years ago and, you know, 10 years ago, we didn't have, I mean, Facebook, I'm pretty sure was only available to college students. I don't know if we even had Twitter yet. The Spotify didn't exist in the United States and, you know, many of the platforms that indie artists use today didn't exist. And so I think in 2006, when you were asking what is indie, that has now changed quite a bit in 10 years as to what is indie. And you know, Can you talk a little bit about how your answer to that question might have changed since you originally made that movie?
3: Sure. And
2: to be honest, like social media didn't exist. I used MySpace to promote the movie, but it wasn't really ubiquitous when we were making the movie in 2004,
3: 2005. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So,
2: so, yeah, anyone who watches it now, like uh, there's a little caveat before you download the film on my website, just saying like, look, this was a snapshot of, you know, 10, 11 years ago. So there's a whole section missing on social media and YouTube and Facebook and things like that. But, um, you know, some of the some of it has stayed the same. Remarkably, there's a there's a lot in that film that's still relevant. And, and, you know, the way we defined independent or indie in that film was really just having control over your own career and calling the shots. But that doesn't mean you're not working with a label or doesn't mean you're not working with a team. Sure. And I think that holds true to this day. And there is now, like you mentioned, I mean, there's so many new platforms available to musicians um, to make their lives easier uh, to be able to run the business side of things on their own or with a small team. So I'm not sure if the definition has changed for me at all. I think it's. I think I've always felt it's. It's really about just controlling your own destiny, and and I never. I, I when the film came out I, you know i was kind of seen as a bit of like a rah-rah indie you know diy guy but i've always felt that if signing with a label will allow you to achieve your goals and you can still control your own career and are comfortable with the contract and with your team then go for it i've i've Advise, i've consulted with artists i've managed artists and signed deals and advise people to sign deals because it was the best thing for their career so I don't, I don't i don't view those things as a negative they can be for sure you hear the horror stories all the time sure man yeah you must see it as a as an entertainment lawyer <laughs> uh
0: only only every day practically yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so you know those nightmares exist but um but I think, you know, with social media and with all access to sort of this global um, fan base, but the pen- potential of one, you know, there's some really savvy artists out there that um, that are are building up their own tribe and then using that as leverage to get a better deal or get things on their own terms and. Uh, um, I heard a quote at a music conferences. I had a music conference recently, and I wish I remember who said it, but I'm gonna I'm gonna steal from it. But they said that labels aren't signing artists; they're they're signing fan bases. Oh wow! Which I which I thought was really profound. I mean that that's so true. I mean labels don't have the resources they once had to do the kind of artist development that was happening in the '70s, '80s, and '90s. And so they're kind of sitting back and waiting for artists to develop themselves and develop a fan base. And then when there's when those artists are onto something and they have a they built up that tribe, then labels will come in and help augment that.
0: Wow, oh, that's that is poignant. You know what? I'm going to go ahead and take credit for that line since you can't remember <laughs> who came up with it. Another go. chestnut from Ryan Carella. <laughs>
2: Go for it, man. I, I'll be happy to attribute it to you. There
0: you go. Awesome. You know, just tweet that out. You know, well, you know, another yeah. insightful comment by podcast host Ryan Carella. Dave, it's it's been awesome to have you here. You are so insightful. You've you've created so much great stuff for artists. Before we let you go, do you have any last tips you want to share with the indie artist listeners out there to help them move their careers
2: forward? Yeah, you know, there's a lot of different ways you can go with this question <laughs> from, you know, real tangible stuff or technical advice or business advice. But well, what I I like the
0: open-ended questions. It's less work for me. Yeah,
2: <laughs> fair enough. I'm going to keep it really simple and slightly cheesy, but what I always tell artists when I speak at conferences or give workshops is, you know, after, you know, talking about marketing and business for an hour and a half and their brains are fried, I usually tell them, look, All this stuff is great, and it's great that you're in the room and listening and trying to learn about the business and marketing side of things. It's important, however, the most important thing you could do for your career is make sure that your music is great and that your live performance is great. You'd be amazed how many things fall into place when you're so good that people talk about you. You don't have to ask people to talk about you. And I see that over and over again with artists that, you know, just focus on the music, focus on the live show. And the best kind of marketing is the marketing you don't have to do yourself. It's the fans, it's the industry talking about you. So I always tell musicians, just don't lose sight of that. Make sure you're rehearsing, make sure you're writing, make sure you're practicing gigging. Um, and you know, don't lose sight of that in the, you can, you can wind up on social media, you know, 12 hours a day and reading music industry books and listening to awesome podcasts like yours and reading books that I've written and that's all good stuff but at the end of the day it, it you, know, you can't lose sight of what of why you're doing it in the first place
0: oh very nice and uh, much appreciated that little plug there at the end uh, <laughs> uh, you can find out more about Dave by visiting davecool.ca and you should of course check out Banzoogle by going to Banzoogle.com. Dave it has been a pleasure thank you so much for being on with us and don't be a stranger we'd love to have you on again
2: Anytime, Ryan. Appreciate it. It was fun. Thanks.
0: All right. We'll be right back on the Break the Business podcast. Ryan here from the podcast. If you like the show, be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. If you want to reach out to us, shoot us an email at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R. Thanks for listening. Welcome back everybody. Our thanks to Dave Cool for joining us in the previous segment. Find out about all the awesome stuff this guy's doing with his books and Banzoogle by visiting
1: davecool.ca. Is it bad that every time you say Dave Cool I want to say at the end Lie? I
0: mean that's kinda of funny.
1: I know, but I feel bad, but I also Do you just... think do you think he
0: gets that a lot? Hey, Dave Coolier? Yeah. Where's I mean, he probably got that more like in the 90s yeah. than he does now. Like, if you say Dave Coulier now, it's like, Yeah, Who? Hey,
1: Dave Coulier, we're the Tanners, huh? <laughs> do Bullwinkle, <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, anyway. I know you got some great uh stuff for us here in the D block, the Dave block, but uh, no, no, just, no first you got to I know I want to do like a hey, let me do my plug, yeah, yeah. plug.
1: we well, don't have to introduce it like. I know you have your thing, but I have to interrupt it first, just do the thing. Well, I, I, I want it because I didn't want because I know
0: you're very possessive over your block, right? But we talked and I, about and this I, beforehand. And I, the audience doesn't know that we're doing a bit. No,
1: we're not. I've decided we're not. Just do the damn
0: thing. Okay, fine. So the plug cele- your book. So the celebrity, that, I'm going to plug my book. Yes. Watch me. So, uh, the is doing a promotion with my book. You go to their celebritycafe.com and you can sign up for a drawing in which you can win a free copy of break the business. So Ooh. if you're thinking to yourself, Hey, I really want to check out this book, but I'll be damned if I put one dime in Ryan Carella's pocket, you know, that <laughs> SOB. Yeah. You can get a free copy of the book by going to the celebritycafe.com. They're doing a drawing and, uh, yeah, get a book that way. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you could just buy it.
1: Yeah. You jerk. Well. But who wants to give money to you? I know. Give gift gift from God my ass. Anyway. um,
0: (laughs) Nice callback. Yeah. All right. Anyway, that's... Yeah, so celebritycafe.com. There you go.
1: Cool. And yeah, get a nice... Also, we have... uh, We actually... Don't we have daily drawings on the uh, iTunes uh, portion of our website for uh, episodes of Break the Business Podcast?
0: Daily drawings?
1: Yeah. We give away episodes for free every day,
0: right? Yeah. I mean, if you're lucky. Like, you know, very... like. You go on iTunes, if you click play,
1: you have a small chance of getting to listen to our episode for free. Everybody else has to pay for it. Well, so far, we haven't been out of stock of episodes. I know. The guys at the warehouse have really been working good. They yeah, yeah, we haven't run out of downloads. Yeah,
3: no,
0: they, they've they been really just, you know, burning the midnight. Oil. We're really proud of Seth and Tom. Just they're, they're, they're really working hard over there. Seth Green and Tom Green? Is it weird they both are like, yes, you know, Greens?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's technically, there are other people in the world named Seth and Tom with probably identical last names. I'm assuming they exist. I imagine. That'd be a weird circle that they fell into. Anyway. <laughs> Ryan. Yes, sir. Hooray for Hollywood. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Hollywood's I wanna, pretty great. Yeah. I want to move out there. We already talked about but Mike Birbiglia sort of like had a little thing about it. You know, do, have you familiar with CAA? Yeah. Creative Artists Agency. Exactly. They are basically the agency, although actually uh, UTA now is coming up uh, to get them. They are the agency, premier agency in Hollywood, representing all sorts of talent, uh, actors, sports, TV, comedy, music, games, literary, theater. You name it, they got it. They're the big boys. They're
0: basically representing everybody in the world but you and me.
1: Oh, I didn't tell you. Um, (laughs) hi There we go. Okay, no, you don't have to do it. That's fine. Um, So, dude, there's this book coming out um, called Powerhouse. Detailing uh, is it's from James Andrew Miller, Powerhouse, the untold story of Hollywood's creative artist agency. This is basically an interesting tell-all book about the creation and inner workings of the world's most prominent talent agency with its tales of dirty dealings and master of the universe antics by CAA's founders. It sounds like a pretty interesting read. It's sold out all over town. There was even going to be a live um, sort of talk between the actual founders, Michael Ovitz and Ron Meyer, the one-time partners. Sure. And um, it's it's been, now has to be postponed for three weeks. People bought tickets for this well in advance. They've sold out the theater it's in, and um, <laughs> it's basically it's a, a public face-off as a, of such. Uh, one quote is: um, "This is my Ali versus Frazier, Frost versus Nixon, and Woodstock rolled into one." <laughs> Wow. Such is the level of uh, intrigue and everything. And I, I actually, I just uh, bought the book on Amazon because uh, I figured, like, ooh, I, I want to get in the know, right, about this industry. Right. Um, One of the stories apparently is that, uh, you know, uh, Meyer called, and he said, like, you know, in the early 80s, I called Sylvester Stallone about an offer I received for a movie that was really, ex- I was really excited about him doing. I knew he probably went out and do the film because, you know, it somewhat parried his tough guy image. And uh, Stallone said, you know, here's the script, don't change it. You know, but I took the script and rewrote it as kind of a compromise. That's what Slo- <laughs> that's what Stallone did all back then. He, the guy writes everything. Yeah, it doesn't matter who did it. He, you know, if he's in a Bible pick, he's going to rewrite it, um, and take credit for. It. He actually, you know, the movie Cobra. Yeah, that's based on a book. He wanted to take after the movie came out, put his name as the author on the book, the book, and take the guy's name off it, figuring that he's done so much. He did did far more for the book than <laughs> oh, anything. Damn. The, yeah. So that's like. Lord of the Rings by Peter Jackson. Yeah. Basically, that's what that is. So he changed it. Nobody wanted it. He said, please do the original script. Stallone said no. The movie was Beverly Hills Cop. Oh, no. Yeah. (laughs) So, hey, it worked out. We got Eddie Murphy as a result of it.
0: Can you imagine? Yeah. Stallone, Axel Foley? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, banana, banana and tailpipe. Yeah,
3: I both went yeah, to yeah. banana
1: and tailpipe. <laughs> <play. laughs> exactly.
3: Oh my god. Yeah.
1: Um, well, yeah, lieutenant, you know, in Detroit, we could do things a little differently. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
0: it would have been a lot longer for a movie just because they would
1: need another hour of him slurring. Yeah. The one is not the dude, Mikey, and Maitland. Victor Maitland. Man, I
0: can only imagine just the amount of dirt that that agency has to have accumulated over the
1: many years it's been around. It's a 750-page book. Wow.
0: <laughs> so. And they probably still had room to spare. Like, there probably oh, was still some stuff on the cutting room floor. Oh,
1: yeah. I mean, so much of the stuff got edited, yeah. But so um, apparently some people have even been just printing out PDFs. Oh, my God. Of the... Of, of the uh, of the book, just so they're not falling behind their colleagues, they say. It's, th- this is like the talk of the town. If only we were actually out there.
0: Would you still read the
1: book? Yeah. Finish but,
0: get there. Let me, if I may, just to backtrack a little bit. Uh-huh. So in terms of putting this show together, you decided that right after I was going to pitch my book, you had to immediately oh. do a segment on a book that's far more celebrated
1: at the moment. And No, hold on a second. No, because I wrote that on the board before you just put in that thing without consulting me. No, no, no. No, no, I walked in. I put that on the board. You knew I was going to do this promotion. No, I didn't. No, I didn't.
0: And let the record also show that you said you bought a copy of, of the CAA book. You have purchased the CAA book. Yeah. Have you purchased my book?
1: Do you also know what's Despite funny? Despite the fact that it's
0: available on Amazon. and Do you want to know what's also yeah. funny?
1: What? Um, I I got the deluxe edition of the... Remember, I, I spoke about many months ago that uh, the making the Metallica Making of Master of Puppets book by Matt Taylor. Yeah. Yeah, that came in the mail. It's an awesome book.
0: <laughs> we should do a segment on this show where you do book reviews. We'll just call it... <laughs>
1: Dave pitches every other book but break the business? Dave
0: Dave reviews books he he read instead of reading Break the Business.
1: Yeah, everything except Ryan. You're my
0: co-host. We do a podcast together. Like I'm I'm not saying you have to like, you know, be the book's biggest fan, although that couldn't hurt, but you know, gotta read a chapter.
1: Ryan, (laughs) you know, Drake made news at the VMA's. Yeah. You know. So I figured who better is gonna know about Drake than our friend up in Canada? Oh, very good. See, that was a that was a smart uh, parry on your
0: on your end there. You knew I was going to be upset about the book thing, and then you're like, "Oh, Canada Dave," and now I'm happy again.
1: Ryan, you've kind of stepped on my intro, eh? But uh, that's all right, buddy. I, I still love you for it, even though you kind of... I, You know, listen, if people want to hog the limelight, that's cool with me. I'm like, Canada Dave over here is not going to like really raise his voice or lose his temper or anything, because that, that's not me, Ryan. That's not me, okay? Well, it is
0: good to see you again, Canada Dave. I love okay. having you on every time for oh. Canada Town or Hoser Talk. Oh, thank you, buddy.
1: You always put me in a good mood. Oh, that's that's swell, buddy. That's That's what I try to do here. You know, that's what Canada Dave does. That music seemed to... Uh, I know, that really, that
0: really did just slam the brakes on that, didn't it? I was trying to yeah. do a fade out, and it didn't really work out. And But thanks for pointing it out, Canada Dave.
1: Oh, that, that's okay, buddy. You know, you gave it an effort. And hey, you know, Mike I Mike says sometimes you gotta fail. And you, 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 so that's... I appreciate the fact... That you are not afraid to do that, buddy. Here I'm you're saying I'm Ryan Carella, <laughs> and I am gonna fail, folks. We, That's we, what I'm gonna do.
0: Yeah, I, I adhere to that Mike Birbiglia lesson on a regular basis around here. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, um, I would say, and you know, not to give you a big head candidate, but I feel like you're the most liked character that comes on this show. I mean, we have a lot of very popular characters on the podcast, but I think people
1: tend to have a special, you know. Uh, you know, place in their heart for Canada Day. Well, it could be my my warm sort of maple bacony center that just like a, a, is attractive to people because just the scent of which is like, oh, that smells good, buddy. Oh man. Oh, if only we had a beer here. That's this 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 this, <laughs> so, this maple bacon guy would be good. Now, folks, don't don't please don't like try to cannibal me. You know, don't try to eat me, folks. Please. I'd appreciate that. The, the, sure. the, the Maple Bacon Center is, is purely metaphorical. Okay, it's, I can assure you it's not real. Either that, or that my doctor has been lying to me for years. Anyway, mm. Ryan. <laughs> so you know, yeah, Drake pro- apparently professed his undying love for Rihanna and uh, the VMAs. Eh, that's right. Wow, you you really got your finger on the pulse of pop culture, Canada, Dave. Well, Ryan, you know Drake is a national treasure, and uh, I got to tell you, it, it, he's so much, Ryan, a national. Tre- this is the this is the level, Ryan. Okay. The wolves took time <laughs> off from their, their schemes to get me. Yeah. You know, and just they're waiting around, you know, because yeah, that's, that's,
0: that's what the wolves that, do. That's what
1: they do. You know, I'd actually say this was a, a big moment in, in Canada, you know, human wolf relations. We all sat down together, Ryan, to break bread and watch Drake on the VMAs. Oh, there was a, a ceasefire of ho- of 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 Canada Dave Wolf hostilities for Drake's VMA performance. Well, I mean, you know, it's really not the hostility's not coming towards me, Ryan. I'm willing to let them live in peace and harmony oh, in, in their true. in their rapidly, you know, evolving Wolf yes. wolf society. <laughs> but you know it's more the, the, it's, against them me that was they, they were doing me the solid. Eh? one sided conflict yeah sadly. exactly exactly but you know hey we we all we all uh, sat around uh, the tv there and uh you know i had some beer and they had you know whatever you know drinks they were having um and we just watched drake and it was really great the brotherhood or the wolfhood or whatever the heck you want to call it <laughs> i don't know but uh after the broadcast, it it quickly deteriorated, Ryan. So I I, I hightailed it back to the cabin. Oh, I can imagine. Just yeah. just made it by the hair.
0: It was a you know just a very brief piece between man and wolf.
1: Yeah, but it gives me hope for the future. But then, <laughs> it, like you know, the, like the Cold War. But then again, it took a long time to end, and it seems like it's heating back up now. So I don't know. Anyway, Ryan.
0: <laughs> so now we're gonna play Canada Towner Hoser Talk. You got some Canadian cities for us?
1: Oh, yeah, I do. I mean, I guess I I could have just stuck around here just for the for that Drake News update, um, because that was really detailed. Sure. Yeah, no, exactly. (laughs) But yeah, dude, I can I can play for you the the game because, you know, I I think last time you didn't do so hot. No, that was a bad. I did not do very well last time. Yeah. And uh, I want to get get you back in there. Um, I can't remember, actually, if I played the game with you recently or one of our uh, former guests, Daryl Newdorf. Oh. When just Dave hosted by himself. I heard he didn't do so well either. He didn't do so well.
0: It's yeah. kind of a hard game. People have a lot of trouble. When you, you come to us with these names, it's hard for people to, to to be able to say whether or not it's a Canadian town or whether it's not a Canadian town or, as you say, hoser talk. Hoser talk. Right? Yeah. yeah. It's, and, uh, it's, it's a
1: technical term. And it, but it's a tough game to play. I, even actual Canadians like Daryl Newdorf have trouble with yeah, it. Yeah. It, it's a hard game, eh? Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Actually, no, it's a hard game. It's hockey, but that's that's coming up soon. And we'll we'll be getting into the hockey segments, Ryan. Don't you worry. Oh, I'm sure of it. We're going to go right from the Formula One racing segments to the hockey segments, because I know that's what this audience wants, buddy. Okay? <laughs> got, go, don't worry, friends. We're going to do it, guy. Okay? Break the business. Uh, your nonstop source for the
0: fifth and twelfth most popular sports in America.
1: <laughs> uh, okay, Ryan. <laughs> Ryan. Yes. Is this a Canadian town, or is this hoser talk? All right, let's do this. Which one? What do we got? What do we got? River of Ponds, River of
0: Ponds. Yeah, or, yeah, like a, like a pond. A river of ponds. Yeah, um, you got like two bodies of water there, buddy. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. That's that's. Oh, that's true. I didn't even realize that. That's kind of ridiculous. But is mm-hmm. it so ridiculous that it's actually the name of
1: a Canada
0: town? I'm gonna
1: hmm. say yes. It's a Canada town. Oh wow, that's amazing, folks! He got one right out of the gate. Wow, see, one for one. I think I've, I
0: think I figured the game out, Canada Dave. I think it's just reverse psychology. If it sounds too much like it could be a town, then it's hoser talk. If it's utterly ridiculous, it's a Canada town. We'll see if that theory works. For well, I, you know, I, I feel pretty good so far. I don't
1: think I've ever been one for one on this show. Okay, before, right. So let's go. Let's keep let's on going. It. Yeah, All right. Yeah. By the way, that was a new. Uh, Newfoundland or New Labrador. Yeah, Newfoundland. Okay, there we go. Uh, Ryan, Pond Cove. Pond Cove. Pond Cove.
0: Noticing a theme up until now. I'm going to go ahead and say that that's, oh
1: God, hoser talk. Ryan, that's wrong. No. Pond Cove is actually a uh, town also in Newfoundland. this in the exact same problem. Newfoundland really loves their,
0: their ponds. And coves. Don't forget the coves. <laughs> they can't forget the coves.
1: Because you got to go from a pond maybe into a cove. Although, they wouldn't really be... Connected as such, because I feel like a cove needs like an open body of water, eh? Mm. You know, but like the pond, that's more just kind of like, well, that's a puddle. That's just uh, that's collected, right? Uh, yeah, sure, sure. You know, that's that's what you go around your buddies and you drink and everything like that. And, and you know, you we get away from the wolves and all that. Although, I mean the wolves can find you there too. They have excellent senses of smell, Ryan. That's what people don't tell you <laughs> about the wolves. Yeah. All right. So let's see if I can let's see if I can take the lead here. All One right. for two. Okay, all
0: right. Ryan Drake Falls. Oh my god, wow. Drake falls. Oh. See, I feel like, and this is a terrible justification, uh-huh. but I know Canada loves Drake so much that they would never name a town that would suggest that he doesn't that he does anything but rise. So if it was like Drake Rises, I would think it's a town. But Drake Falls? No, they don't. They don't think he falls. I'm going to say Drake Falls. That's hoser talk. That's not a real Canadian town.
1: I guess your work, as weird as it is, is still right. Yeah. <laughs> It sort of makes oh. no sense because it seems, Ryan, you, to me that you're presupposing that Drake... Well, God knows I love him in sort of the Wolves. <laughs> you know, the song about the cell phone. Because, God, you know, I, God knows I've lost my cell phone numerous times, so I relate to that song. I think that's what it's about. Anyway. I don't think that's what it's about. <laughs> you know... Are <laughs> you saying that Hotline Bling is about losing his cell phone? I'm pretty sure. Isn't that like what the Find My Phone app that Apple has on its things? you don't have like one of those hotlines you use to find your phone (laughs) they even got commercials for hotline i mean eh? who am i i don't who am i to
0: say that you're wrong about what that song's about to be fair it's
1: it's quite obvious buddy because you know even look at the music video he's trapped in a box of fear that is losing his cell phone and, God, Ryan, have you ever lost your phone or think you have? It's a terrifying feeling, all Sure. Right? You are trapped. I know it's true. Yes, in a mental hell cell. That rhymed, eh? <laughs> of your own making. And I've, I, that's exactly what it's about. And, and that, thank God for the good folks at the VMAs to uh, recognize that. If it won, I think it did. I'm not sure. I actually didn't watch the damn thing. No, wait. I No, Canada you did, Day did. You- <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay. There's
1: a Moving on. A little regular Dave kind of, his, his analysis kind of bled in there a little bit. All right. Oh, Sorry. That's, this is what happens when you don't take your medication. Then the, the personalities <laughs> kind of slip back sure, and forth. They're, yeah, not, no. they're not under control like you need them to be. I about.
0: need Canada Dave to stay right here where he is because I don't think I've ever been two out of three before on this game. So I got I got a good streak.
1: Going okay. There. All right. Okay. Okay. All right. So, all right. Yes, you got that. Drake falls a holder. But again, the fact that you think somehow Canada names talents based on Drake. All right. <laughs> Ryan Degrassi. No.
0: No way, because <laughs> DeGrassi was Drake's original show. Hey, that he that's was right, on. right. DeGrassi, you're, the Next Generation. Yeah, you're a fan. He was Jimmy. He, oh yeah. Uh, he, he was in a wheelchair, if I remember correctly. Um, hmm. But the question is did did Canada Dave know that when he was originally making this game? Or did you expect me to not know that? And you'd be like, "Oh no, Ryan, that's Hoser
1: Talk," because that's the name of the TV show that he was on. I'm going to say, Ryan, what? I, I want to stop it right now. Yeah, you're, you're bringing kind of, you're starting to bring a level of sort of menace and competition to this that heretofore has never been seen on Canada Town or Hoser Talk. And I'm gonna be honest with you, buddy, it's kind of freaking me out a little bit. I like the way Canada Dave says heretofore. All right. So you know, this has been in the spirit of camaraderie and brotherhood, and you know, of, of humans and not wolves, Ryan. Right? And I'm, I'm, you're starting to like turn on me. That's buddy. fair.
0: That's fair. Sorry, sorry. Let me, let me mail me out here. Degrassi is not the name of a Canada town. That's hoser talk. Well,
1: that's right, Ryan. Yes, you really know your Drake. I'm I mean, telling you, yeah, you're you're like a, a you're like a, a Drake fan. Yeah, yeah, you probably got like all his albums, eh? Like the first one, going all the way back to to Degrassi. Yeah, the second one, right? Oh, dude, that second one. Uh, People say there's a sophomore slump, but no, not with Drake. I mean, the second album. That's I just love the third track.
0: Yeah, that third track.
1: Oh, that's that's a doozy, Ryan. Yeah, and the fifth track. So,
0: so that that third track does it? Does it get you like jumping up and dancing, or does it kind of mellow you out because it's
1: slower? Ryan, the next town (laughs) is uh, (laughs) Ryan. Yeah, Salmon Arm. Salmon Arm. Yeah, eh? Um,
0: See, that's ridiculous. But I know how this game works, and if it's ridiculous, it must be real. So I'm going to say that is indeed a Canada town.
1: Ah, that's right, Ryan. It's in British Ooh, Columbia. Yes, Salmon Arm BC, baby. Ah, you're starting to see the matrix code behind the show. It <laughs> makes me wonder if, if you actually get things right. Is Canada Dave just going like, to disappear into nothing, just like Marty McFly and go away <laughs> I knew forever? You're about to say
0: like Back to the Future, yes.
1: Man, four out of five. Okay, don't, don't get cocky, Hoser, now. <laughs> All right. Ryan. <laughs> yeah. Dry Lake. Dry
0: Lake. Dry Lake. Oh, man. That's kind of ridiculous sounding. Or is it not ridiculous? No. I think... I'm going to say that's
1: Hoser Talk. Oh, you made it sound like you are going to say that's a town. I, I did, but then I, I reversed it on you. So, you are you sure you're going to go there? I'm going with Hoser Talk. All right, Ryan. It's a Hoser. Yes! Wow! This is a man. I'm just. This is amazing, folks. I mean, you're seeing the face of a man who's like finally winning at something. This is great. Because I listened to previous episodes where the other games are kind of like always losing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So this is actually. I feel pretty good. I'm feeling pretty good. I'm glad you're. I'm glad you're happy for me. Uh, I I I think very highly of you, Canada Dave. I I will let you know though, just as a just as a precaution, eh? All right. You know don't get too high because I did notice, and I, I meant to tell you off the air, but you know now we've got to bring it up. The wolves now know who you are as well oh well that's that's not ideal again, they've progressed so much they're they're heavily into podcasts, oh, of course yes and they've they've learned that I am on this show <laughs> and have been speaking ill of them in their intentions towards me, so you may be a marked man in the wolf community, my friend. Well,
0: and maybe they figure that's the best way for them to hurt you is to hurt the ones you care about.
1: Oh, God, yeah. Oh, no. Oh, Ryan, <laughs> that's terrible. I want to get a call one day like or a letter. It's going to be like your finger. It's going to be like from the wolves. It's just going to say, oh,
0: because that's what
1: wolves say. Yeah, it'll just be written out there. <laughs> yes. The palm and chip, though, has got to be questionable.
0: Palm and chip.
3: You go, you got
1: one, Canada, David. Uh, <laughs> <That was, okay.
3: laughs>
1: All right, right. Drake, ooh,
0: Drake. I'm gonna like wasn't like Sir Francis Drake like an important person in Canada? I'm gonna say yes, that's Canada Town.
1: Ryan Drake's ask doing, yeah, that's, that's pretty good. Woo, man. Yeah. Or the Saskatchewan? I can't. I just wrote SK. I, no, that's right. Saskatchewan. Saskatoon is the town. Hosted <laughs> by my own petard, buddy.
0: <laughs> There's certain words that Canada Dave says or like phrases that always get me. And petard, uh, that one made me laugh.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. All, All right, right, buddy. Uh, how many more do we got? We only got two more now. Ryan, bog end. Bog end. I'm going to say that is a Canada town. Ryan, I tricked you, my
0: friend. Oh, you
3: got because, me. Because, oh, hold on a oh, second, buddy. What? Hold
1: on a second. Here's, here's the the genius of which Canada Dave has has forced you into his uh, beautiful Canadian maple beer trap, eh?
3: <laughs>
1: Bog End was a town until the post office renamed it to Leroy in oh, Saskatchewan. Oh, come on. That's such a technicality. So, Ryan, Bog End used to be a town, but it's no longer a town. Now it's Leroy. Ryan, if I said, is Leroy a town? And you said yes, then you'd be right. But you didn't. That's it. It was a Canada town and then subsequently became Hoser Talk. I, you know, listen, buddy, I took the chance that you would know that it was renamed to Leroy in like, I think it was like 1920 or something like that. I, <laughs> I went ahead and said, you know, oh, this guy's been studying for a while. He knows. <laughs> so I got you. And you did. No, I, that, that. All right, Ryan. It's last, not a Canada town. Last like, one, buddy. All right. Last, see, I want to go out on top here. Last one, Drake. I mean, Ryan. Drake. <laughs> you, you, you both have beautiful eyes. Ryan Wolfville (laughs) Oh man It's a fascinating sound Here too far Never heard on the show (laughs) Here too You did that on purpose Just because you know I think it's funny I did buddy The way he says here
0: too far Um Gosh I really Like The fact that I've already gotten More right than wrong Is meaningless to me I really want to go out Like on On a win Uh huh was Wolf, Wolf? What Wolfville? Wolf? Oh come on, Wolfville. Yeah, eh? I mean it's ridiculous.
1: But if it's ridiculous, then it's I'm gonna say it is a Canada town. <gasps> Ryan Wolfville, the most hellish place on earth, is in Nova Scotia.
0: Yes, Wolfville, Nova Scotia.
1: Okay, okay. Lower your voice, but we don't want to like summon them now. Oh, sorry. Okay, so, you know. Unless I haven't looked up the town or anything, but I'm pretty sure it's just a town run by wolves. And it, it seems like it, you know. with like uh, elected wolf government, and they all like maybe got like the business wolves have ties around their neck. Yeah, you know, and they got their lunch boxes full of like raw meat and people's heads and stuff like that. <laughs> but also, you know, God knows Drake is like number one in all the charts.
0: Of course, I mean, I mean, all Canadians, man, were wolf. You know,
1: love him. Oh yeah, they, they they definitely love this. Oh, also, you know, and Duran Duran. Obviously, like, hungry like the wolf. That's like, oh, yeah, sure, that's, sure. That's, that's that's their jam, buddy. That's 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 their jammy. Eh? So, but you did good, my friend. Yeah, I'm... that's amazing. I, I just hope now this isn't one of those things where now you are marked for uh, like a kidnap or something like the Lindbergh baby, or you've done so well on Canada Town or Hoser Talk. And now, the wolves are gonna come and get you and you know to, to get to me and maybe ransom you. I, I Canada Day doesn't have resources, Ryan, right, so you probably shouldn't get kidnapped because I, I can't really pay, buddy. All right. Well,
0: I uh, I will watch out for the Wolves, and I feel so good now. I, I normally don't uh, do that well at this game. Uh, yep. Thank you very much for joining us, Canada oh, Dave. Oh, you're welcome, buddy. It's always a pleasure
1: to have you here. Yeah, and uh special shout-out, uh, happy birthday to Metal Dave's dad. Oh, of course, yes. Uh, yeah. Metal Dave's dad, uh, D-
0: D- Dave's dad, uh, yeah. he's a biggest fan of the podcast. He even created a Twitter account. Yeah, yeah. Uh, about you know, expressing his fandom for Metal Dave on the podcast, he just turned sixty. Yeah, we had a 60th birthday. You were there, your wife was there, and it was a lot of fun stuff. And he mentioned our show. He did. I I, I think that's so cool. I mean, I mean, let me just say this about about him. Uh-huh. Classy dude. Yeah, like, he was at this party, and he like mentioned every person that was there and had like a story about each one and knew everybody's names. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it was just it was just so classy. Like the man oozed class. Like I. I forget people's names all the time, Of and I I, I never get to know
1: people as well as I should. Like, I, I got to be more like him. He's he's just, just a classic dude. Nice. So also that means because, you know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. I am my father's son. You're saying you want to be like me? Without a doubt. Nice. I mean, you're, you're, you, you both of you were so charming last okay,
0: night. Okay, cool. You're both funny and telling jokes and All stuff. right,
1: so let's you and me move out to Los Angeles, and we'll do it.
0: Yeah, I can see how you went from what I said to what you said. That's a natural cause and effect there. Are thanks to Dave cool for joining us. My thanks to you, Dave. Happy birthday, Dave's dad. Happy birthday, Dad. We'll see you next week on the Break the Business Podcast.